Hey, Cammy. Hey, Bryant. What do Robin Hood, Vlad the Impaler, and Mothman have in common? IDK, what? Well, they're all topics on our podcast, Mystery, where each week we discuss a new myth and the history behind it. That's Myth Story with an I-E. See you then. Hey, everybody, and this microphone is sideways. Welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk to you about some things you should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about, I don't know, what happened this week that we can even talk about? Uh, the ghost came back. Oh, yeah! Yeah, the other night, I was chilling on the couch, and Austin had already gone to bed like a loser, and... <laughs> I'm sorry, what time was this? 1.30? Yeah. And so I'm chilling on the couch, got three cats with me, having a good time. And then out the corner of my eye, I see like this giant black thing. And the best I can describe it as is a bunch of spider legs without a spider body or maybe ball lightning, but it's not shiny. It's just black. And so I look over and like, that's weird. And it disappears, but then this loud skittering starts going right where it was, like in the ceilings and in the walls. Like there are squirrels in the ceilings and the walls, which there aren't. I would have thought it was just me being tired, but the cats all heard it too. And they all like sit up and start staring at it, except for Gigi, who sits up, looks over there, and then runs to the laundry room because that's where all the excitement ever is when you're Gigi. She loves the laundry room. I think she saw a mouse out there once, mm -hmm. and now it is her goal to explore and protect the laundry room. Yeah, but this is the same place, like, roughly where we have seen almost every weird thing that's happened in this house. Yeah. And this is new for me. Like, And I texted him because he was asleep, and I was like, the fucking ghost is back. And then I didn't give him any more information until the next morning. And I'm, I, was like, I think I had to, like, go to work or something, too, so I didn't even get to hear about it until I got home. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, I was like, oh, there's a ghost? I gotta hear more about this. Gotta hear more, but gotta wait till I get home. Yeah, it was unpleasant. It was unpleasant. And it's the first thing that's happened in a bit. Sorry, you got a new hoodie and it's really smooth and soft. It, <laughs> yes, I bought a new hoodie. I That's the other thing I did this week was right before I started my job back in October, so less than a year ago, I was like, I'm gonna buy a grown-up wardrobe. I bought some, like, nice clothes. I've got, I work at a place where you can wear jeans, but I do have, you know, jeans, and I've got nice grown-up tops to go with them. And then we went to quarantine, and I'm literally living in sweatpants slash pajama pants and camisoles and hoodies. Even though we do video chats, I am not the only person I work who dresses like this for all of our video chats. <laughs> so I went, on to, I went on to thread up last night and bought a whole bunch of new tank tops. <laughs> And this is from Costco. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I did not anticipate needing so many pajama pants for quarantine. Yeah, yeah. They told us that the apocalypse clothing would be a lot more exciting. It's like, not. I don't have anything that's made of leather with spikes on it. We also don't have a dude attached to the front of our car, though. We don't. Or a guy playing guitar attached to the front of our car. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, because there's multiple guys attached to the fronts of cars in Mad Max. I'm specifically talking about that guy. I just didn't mention the guitar yet. I mean, we thought about getting them one of those, but he specifically said he wouldn't play Taylor Swift. So it's like, I'm sorry, you do not meet our um, guy attached to the hood of our car playing guitar needs. That's the other exciting thing that happened this week was Taylor Swift came out with a surprise album. Just out of the blue, just boom, Taylor Swift. If you've paid any attention, you know that we both love our T-Swift, especially Austin. Like, when we first started I, dating, I was like, I really like Taylor Swift. And he was like, Taylor Swift is stupid. I'm not going to listen to those stuff. I stand by it because the one Taylor Swift song I'd heard a lot was that, like, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Which is a great song. I still don't like that one song. The rest of them are pretty good. Yeah, I got him in on... Shake It Off. Yep, yep. And uh, she made eye contact with him and I knew that was the moment he was no longer mine. Any other exciting news? Even though baseball is actually back, I'm going to talk about sports ball. Don't worry, she's got a white claw. She'll be fine. <laughs> Might need to get me another uh, one if you're going to talk about the sports ball. But even though baseball is back, I'm still kind of mad at baseball for coming back when they shouldn't be. So uh, I have now picked out a uh, Japanese professional baseball team that I have adopted. So I root for the Hiroshima Carp. Yeah, we both got baseball caps to cover up our quarantine hair although austin we just shave his head your hair has grown so much since i shaved it two days ago yeah my hair goes stupid fast mine does too but i've got a little bit of a carol brady thing happening 
But I, I invested in, I know you guys are fascinated. I invested in, why do you listen? Invested. We invested in. Invested in two baseball caps. One is Bigfoot being taken away by aliens. And the other is a, uh, your, with the apostrophe R-E, and an asterisk. It's, I just, it's just to let people know up front that I'm a bitch. It's like her entire personality has been encapsulated in two caps. And I, I wear my Bigfoot UFO hat with my Mothman mask. We posted a picture of the Mothman masks on our social media the other day. Where did you get those? Um, it was one of the most fortuitous targeted Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's creepy how well you know me, but yes, I will purchase this. Yeah, yeah. So if we can find a link to it, we'll post it somewhere for you guys because it's a, it's a quality mask too. I'm sure, I'm sure you could just search for Mothman mask. There can't be that many of them. I'm sure there are plenty of people on Etsy who sell them too and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. The only other thing this week is the schools all decided to reopen, and you don't want me to fucking start. Every day I get home from work, I get to hear an update about what the schools are doing, and then hear about uh, which elected official she has written a letter to. I have written to three separate school boards. And in each email, I ended it with, right now, we all have to take responsibility for the decisions that we make. In one year, five years, ten years, you're going to have to look back and think, I could have saved them, and I chose not to. Do you want to live with that? I mean, they, please, these these are elected officials. They don't view people as people. Yeah, well, it pisses me off, because some of them actually are current or former teachers who are also on school boards, and they voted against things like just delaying the start of school and we're not it's not asking for much they're not asking for schools to never open they're saying give us three more weeks and they're like but what one of them literally but what about the harvest it's like we went over that last week i remember that specifically yeah it's like dead kids can't harvest either but yeah so they voted largely against their best interests at the state level they're doing a little better at the local level but that brings up the problem of the state level getting to go See, we told you the local level will do it. Now we don't have to make any decisions. So my thought is, why can't we leave everything up to the local level? Everything. 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 We're going to set new school hours. We are going to set the number of contact hours you need. Oh, I'm sorry. There will be no more testing in this district. Exactly. Why can't we leave everything up to the schools if we're going to leave whether or not kids get to die up to them? And um, football players now have chainsaws. I would watch that. I am one of those people who watches sports for the fights. I come from a hockey family. So who's, who gets to go first this week? What did we talk about last week? Uh, I talked about samurai in New York and you talked about epigenetics. I think I went first last you week. You did go first last week. Okay. Are you sure you didn't hit your head today? I only hit my knee today and stuck my arm up into a vent where I'm going to get an allergic reaction and... I've literally only drank a quarter of this White Claw. My brain is just exhausted. This is going to be a wild one, folks. Buckle up. I've been sleeping about three hours every night for the last two weeks. Oh, yeah. Her brain is broken at this point. Yeah. So I get to go first this week, and which is great because I'm going to be talking about something serious for once. I am too, but something I'm actively angry about. Oh, good. So I'm going to talk about the Freedom Rides. So in school, I learned that they existed. And it had something to do with bus boycotts. I feel like I know about them because there was a movie at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, no specifics. They were just a point in a larger section about the civil rights movement. Movement, Maybe like a sentence in a paragraph in the two pages we got. Well, remember, the only person involved with the civil rights movement was Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. Dr. Only King was the, was the civil rights movement and there was no one else. Yep. No Clara Looper. No, uh, no Fanny Hamer. No... Malcolm X wasn't there. No, no, and no, uh, John Lewis, which... Who's John Lewis? Uh, John Lewis We never learned about him, hence the sarcasm in my voice, because he he was alive until last week and still acting like a fucking hero. Yes. He had cancer. Mm -hmm. He had cancer, and he was up there like, RBG is still, RBG, you best not die. I will give you my kidney, and I will not give it to just anybody. Because of John Lewis's recent passing, I decided I want to go in-depth about the Freedom Rides this week, because we never really learned about them. And this is when a 21-year-old John Lewis kind of burst onto the national scene in 1961. Wow, 21. Yep, he was 21. When I, remember when we were 21? We were, I think it's safe to say that we are no John Lewis. No, no, I am barely me at 21. Yeah. <laughs> That's about the age where I made the stupid decision to get married the first time. Oh. So John Lewis is off saving the world. I'm off making very poor choices. Yeah. 
So, the Freedom Rides in, 19, in 1961 actually kind of got their start in 1946. Oh, wow. When the Supreme Court, in a decision of Morgan versus the state of Virginia, decided that segregation was unlawful on interstate bus lines. Only on interstate ones, though. Yeah. This did not in any way end segregation on interstate bus lines. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, cool, you made the decision, but there was no effort to enforce or do anything about it. And in uh, 1961, a civil rights group called CORE, or the Congress of Racial Equality, uh, decided that they were going to test it and go through and actually, like, you know, publicly defy these state-led segregation laws that were had been declared unlawful, like, you know, 15 years ago. Uh-huh. And they wanted to do it in time to match up with the six-year anniversary of the decision of Brown versus the Topeka Board of Education. Also, everything didn't end with Brown v. Board. What? It was a long... It was a while after that. Yeah, no, that's still... There's still school segregation today. today. And I mean, like, literal... Not just because you're in this neighborhood. Like, literal places have segregated proms on purpose. Within the same school. Yeah. And they make national news every couple of years. And it's like, why the fuck is this still happening? Because it's Mississippi. It's always Mississippi. Always Mississippi. But at least they're fixing their flag sometime in the future. Ugh. It is now unlawful to have that flag, just like it is unlawful to have these bus rides. Mm-hmm. So uh, they decided they're going to test these segregation laws by in bus stops and, on these, and in lobbies on a bus trip from Washington, D.C. to New Orleans, in which they'd stop and they'd go in and try to get service in white-only bathrooms, lobbies, like diners, all that stuff along this route. And I do want to say one thing about the bathrooms. When we were in school, we were always taught there was a black's bathroom and a white's bathroom. Well, that's not the case. If it was, then there'd be more bathrooms now. In fact, there was a white's bathroom in many cases and then go into the woods to a bucket for black people. We never learned that. This group had some critics, critics in the civil rights movement, because it was not a completely unified movement. What? I thought everybody agreed with everything everybody else said. Oh, no. Their critics called it risky. Mm -hmm. They thought that such overt confrontation would set the civil rights movement back. And also, this was incredibly dangerous. Do you not realize how dangerous regular travel is and you're going to go in and provoke people? It's like, you might not understand the full danger of what you're getting yourselves into. Yeah, they were like going through solid, like, do not fly territory, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did train for it to an extent. The core members were verbally abused by trainers and like slapped, dragged out of chairs, yelled at. So all they could be better prepared to not react or angrily or violently when people did this these things to them Mm -hmm. because they were fully expecting to be met with resistance. Mm -hmm. It also helped weed out the people who would react to this and have a reaction and like only have the people who would remain calm and dignified, disciplined, and nonviolent. So it started out pretty happily. There was like a few members of the press when they started this thing. It wasn't getting huge coverage. The writers felt like they were ready for anything when they get started. And John Lewis, who I'll stress again, was 21 said he felt like a nonviolent warrior marching off to war. It started out fairly, like, you know, dull. There were some arrests in Carolinas and Virginias, and John Lewis actually got assaulted for trying to use a white-only restroom in South Carolina. The man who assaulted him actually did apologize to John Lewis in 2010. I remember that. And John Lewis accepted his apology. I remember that. Yeah. So, but beyond that, it was a pretty uneventful trip. On May 13th of 1961, the Freedom Riders arrived in Atlanta, where they had a rece- where they met by Dr. Martin Luther King and had a little reception and a dinner with him. In this, he told them that the Atlanta clan was planning something. Sorry, the Alabama clan was planning something. Uh-huh. He thought that they were doing more harm than good. The Freedom Riders or the, the Fre- clan? The, the Freedom Riders were doing more harm than good. The clan were definitely <laughs> doing more harm than good. What was his name? Rodney? <laughs> yeah. Who? The video you showed, you were talking about yesterday? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was this video I was watching yesterday in which this guy, this, like, you know, white supremacist, Blue Lives Matter asshole, was assaulting, a bu- was, like, you know, harassing a bunch of protesters. And it was on Facebook Live. And they said, we're going to figure out who you are. And he says, no, no, you're not. Then immediately someone pops up. It's like, is your name Rodney? And he just went, he just stopped and just looked instantly defeated. And his expression was nourishment to me. <laughs> Back on topic, 
uh, the Freedom Riders actually asked Dr. King if he'd like to join them for, like, you know, their ride. He flatly said no. Mm-hmm. He was not going to have anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of a surprise to them because they thought that he would be excited and want to join them in this. He did not. Yeah. Which so, is why we didn't ever hear about this. Yeah. If so, Martin Luther King didn't want to be involved, it must be bad. Mm-hmm. So, on May 14th, 1961... The Freedom Riders left Atlanta for Birmingham in two groups. One group was riding on a Greyhound bus. The other group was riding on a Trailways bus. The Greyhound bus arrived in this town called Anniston, Alabama. There was a mob of one to 200 people waiting there for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, When the bus pulled into the station, a man lied down in front of it so they couldn't leave. People were trying to break windows and people were slashing the tires. The driver managed to get away from the station, but a car pulled in front of him and was driving slowly and swerving back and forth so they couldn't get very far. And then the bus tires finally went flat and they had to stop. The uh, bus driver abandoned the bus. He just walked away. I mean, I get it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's great, but I get it. Then the mob arrived. A back window was broken out with a crowbar, and a firebomb was thrown onto the bus, and the back of it caught fire. I do remember hearing about this. Initially, the mob was blocking the exits so no one could get out, but the tank caught fire and there was a small explosion. So the mob fled away from the bus and the people inside were able to get out. Yeah. Some of the men were beaten by the mob after they got off the bus and were choking on the smoke until a state highway patrol officer arrived and fired his gun into the air to disperse the crowd, saying, you've had your fun, let's move back. That attack ended. I feel like this came up in one of the ones I've covered too, but I'm blanking on which one it was. Yeah. The, Might have been Fanny. Yeah. I'll have to look. The riders on the trailway bus did not know what had happened to the other bus when they arrived in Birmingham. Now, Birmingham was amongst the most seg- heavily segregated cities in America. And that was largely because of police commissioner Bull Connor who is undeniably a villain in history. Like, I could find nothing good about this man. He is a sociopath. He's just violent, angry, insane. He would do anything to preserve segregation. He viewed it as defending civilization itself. So, absolute son of a bitch. Yep. It's like, he is dead and no one cried. (laughs) Um, So anyway, this asshole made an arrangement with the Klan. They got 15 minutes without any police interference once the bus arrived. We had a fucking purge. Yeah. Um, An FBI informant heard, burn, maim, kill, bomb, I don't give a goddamn. No man will be arrested in that time. Yeah, that's a purge. Yeah. Also, I... How'd the FBI informant feel about that? Well, the FBI informant uh, told the FBI, who told J. Edgar Hoover... Who did nothing. Awesome. So the informant gave a shit. Yeah. No, the informant The informant did not really give a shit. He just kind of did his job. The FBI offered no protection for the rioters, even though they knew what was about to happen. Awesome. Yeah. There was a mob of nearly a thousand people there. Two men were sent off of the bus to test the facilities. They were severely beat. Uh, the press was there because they had also had an informant about something was going to go down and you'll want to see this. But it was actually someone from the clan who just wanted, it's like, yeah. We want to show the world what happens. What happens when you're just trying to get off a goddamn bus. Mm-hmm. And the press was there. And one of the men being beaten actually credits the press with saving his life. Them being there saved his life. He pro- he feels like he would have been beaten to death if not for the press, like a flashbulb going off and it giving people pause while they were beating him. Kind of like the difference between Yoho running into Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in front of the press rather than in a back alley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see you. Then, like magic, after about 10 minutes of beatings, the mob dispersed and the police arrived. Uh Uh-huh. They only dispersed to about a block away where they were loudly bragging with an earshot of the police about the uh, accomplishments of the day. Accomplishments. Mm Mm-hmm. The uh, photographs of the torch bus and the mob beating people in a bus station were among the most disturbing images to come out of the civil rights movement at that point. And we never saw them in our textbooks. Nope. We might have seen the bus, but I doubt it. Yeah, and I understand not putting those in elementary and middle school textbooks, but by the time you're in senior and high school history, those photos belong there. Yeah. This sparked international outrage. Mm-hmm. And it made America look really bad. And specifically, Mm -hmm. it made JFK, 
and RFK look very bad on an mm-hmm. international stage, which they which pissed them the hell off. Yeah, we never learned about what the rest of the world was doing during this. Like, I recently learned that Blackbird by the Beatles was about black women in America and how they were being treated. Yeah. There, a lot of the story around it is a myth, but that part is actually true. Yeah. Uh, so JFK actually kind of viewed the civil rights movement as a nuisance. But I thought he was besties with MLK. Oh, no. He was actually more concerned with foreign affairs. They had a summit coming up with Russia, and he didn't want to look bad in the international community and be negotiating from a weaker spot about America's freedoms when the fact that a large portion of America did not have the same freedoms was on every news outlet in the world. Mm -hmm. Kind Um, of like now. And he didn't, there wasn't even a lot he could do about it because a lot of JFK's support was actually from pro-segregationist Democrats in the South. (laughs) They thought electing JFK would be a way for the federal government to avoid changing the Southern way of life. And JFK did not want to piss off these supporters, so he was just going to leave it alone Mm -hmm. and focus on what he thought of as more important as the Soviet Union. At this point, JFK and RFK, they were in no ways allies of the civil rights movement. But they had an international summit coming up, like I said, and they just wanted it to go away. So they started to take some action at this point. The next day, after uh, the people who had been beaten were released from the hospital, they were determined to finish the ride. But another mob had gathered at the bus station. Jesus Christ. The police were there this time, not like it mattered, but their bus driver refused to drive them, saying just like he has a wife and kids, and there's a thousand people waiting outside the city to kill you. Yeah, and that's the thing is... The bus drivers aren't the villains in this story, as far as I can... I mean, I don't know I don't know the full story, the one who ran away, this guy. I, so they don't sound like villains to me. They sound like yeah. people who are scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. They, they, it's like, they probably made the smart choice for them to get away from this because it wasn't their cause. They weren't going to die for it. Yeah, and it, regardless of what their belief system was, not everybody is willing to die for everything they believe in. Yeah. So then the Freedom Riders uh, took a vote... And decided that they had gone as far as they could at that point. Uh, So then they left for the airport, but the mob followed them to the airport. And when they got on the plane, they had to walk across the tarmac while they had this mob looking at them to get on the airplane. They finally got on the airplane and thought that they were safe. But then they had to leave the airplane because a bomb threat had been called in and they had to get everyone off the airplane. You never think about air travel during this time. Like, was there a front of the plane, back of the plane situation or? There were some pictures and it didn't look like there was. Like, I mean, there's no level of convenience towards yeah. being on the front of the back even now, but. I think the uh, airplanes had a tighter federal regulation. So I feel like they didn't mess with that because they are trying to obey this. Uh, thing about uh, interstate travel and segregation. So I think they were actually trying to obey that when the buses were not. Huh. So then they had to go back through this mob to the airport where the mob remained and they could not leave the airport because there was this mob waiting to kill them. At this point, RFK had sent a representative from the federal government to fly down there and he spoke to the airlines and managed to get them on a flight to New Orleans so they could attend the rally they were going to be going to at the end of the Freedom Ride. But this, even though this part of it was over, this was not the end. Because when this group failed, a group of students in Nashville, Tennessee said, oh no, we cannot let the threat of mass violence destroy a nonviolent movement. We have to continue this knowing full well what kind of violence and just despicable hatred was in their way, and they were going to complete this no matter the cost. So we're talking more 21-year-olds. More 21. These were college students. Jeez. And this is not even half of the story. And for a, for a Will This Be On The Test First, we are going to have a two-parter, where next week I'm going to come back and I'm going to finish talking about the Freedom Riders. Yeah. Yeah, and so I I don't know what our normal age demographic is that listens to this, but John Lewis is 21. These Nashville kids are 21. We've got, from the time we record, about 100, day, 100 days until the election. If you're not registered to vote, go do it right now. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, nothing else matters. Go register to vote. You don't even have to get on a bus and get beaten. You just go and you write in a name. You push a button on a computer. You... Send in a piece of mail, and you get to fix stuff. Yeah, there are lots of great websites to figure out what you need to register to vote at every step of it. Or if you need need help, tweet us at On The Test Pod. We will find the resources that you need. Oh, absolutely. And also, if you have registered to vote, 
Uh, there's also resources where you can go on and check to see if you're still registered to vote. Yes, you do need to check that, especially if you've moved or sometimes it just, your name is just, and this is uh, not, this is not voter, you know, disenfranchised. I mean, it can be. This is not them trying to get you off the list. Like sometimes people get purged from lists accidentally. Maybe somebody with your same name died. Like, go check that you're still listed. You can call your election office. They can help you. Yeah, there's lots of resources to help you register to Make vote. Make sure you're registered. Register if you're not. Find someone to help you if you need oh, help. And also, since the uh, post office is getting slowed down, if you are absentee voting by mail, make sure to get your stuff sent in as soon as possible, expecting mail delays. Yes, and if you are voting from outside of your normal state as a true absentee and not a mail-in, make sure that your ballot doesn't need to be notarized or does need to be notarized and get it done before you mail it because apparently absentee voting in Missouri, not mail-in, absentee, requires a notary to fucking sign off. Your ballot's supposed to be private. Yeah. That's that's what gets me. Like nobody, like the ballot workers aren't supposed to look at what you're doing. How come some notary can? I know. It's, it's ridiculous and stupid. And Missouri, we see you. We say that your governor is okay with killing children, so... Well, it's only like 1% of children. Only 1%. That would have been seven kids in my last school. Seven. So, are you ready for some questions? Yes. All right. Will the fact that segregated bus lines had been illegal for over a decade when the Freedom Rides started be on the test? No, that makes us look bad. Will the fact that this was six years after Brown versus Board be on the test? Yes, just because they will have learned all of this together. Yep. Will the fact that a sizable portion of JFK's supporters were segregationists be on the test? No. And will the fact that the FBI knew about and did nothing about a terroristic threat be on the test? It won't be on the test, and it makes me wonder how often they do know about stuff about it ahead of time. It's um, Here's a spoiler for part two. You're going to see more. Yeah. Yeah, the, the FBI, and um, as you may notice, there's some stuff going on with federal police and cities right now. Yeah. They have a history, and it's and, not a good one. And it's sad, too, because I feel like a lot of these guys went into it thinking, I'm going to be an FBI agent, I'm going to save the world, and now it's, oh no, you're going to go gas some innocent people in Portland or Kansas City. They have been here longer. And yeah. um, they don't have a choice. And so I, and it's, it's not like the police, but it is like the police. It's, it's a whole thing. And this is what, this is not what any of them signed up for. No. This is not what a single one of them signed up for. Oh, I'm sure there's a few that did. Well, that's not something you could sign up for when it's not something that's got really a whole lot of precedent. Yeah. Like these guys just did nothing as opposed to this where it's active. We're going after them for vandalism. That is literally the only things on the list that they were told about was vandalism, vandalism, vandalism. Oh, also there's some, there's a bullshit Facebook meme going around showing um, a, st- a statue of Jimi Hendrix that had been spray painted in Seattle. And so I was like, oh, I guess it's not really about Black Lives Mattering, is it? First of all, that was from 2013. And second of all, it's like, come on, just do some basic research, people. Oh, there's another one going around about these two, this couple that was killed by a group of black men. And they're like, it, and it's a really horrific way that they were murdered. And they're like, this, this happened and it didn't make the news and no one's paying attention to this. And why is it? It's because the victims are white. It happened in 2007. It got a lot of coverage at the time and podcasts are still doing cases over it. It's horrific what happened to them and it should still matter and it does still matter. But it's not news. There's a reason that your, that your local news station isn't talking about this 13 years later. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, if one of the guys who was involved with that was getting out of jail because of COVID, it would be on the news. Yeah. Because what he did, what they did, it's horrific. It's really horrific. Um, but that's a whole other issue. I'm here to talk about something else today. Okay, what are you talking about this week? Well, I had a news story pop up for me about Senator Tom Cotton from Uh, Arkansas. He is introducing legislation that would ban federal funding for the 1619 Project to be taught in public schools. Before I forget, my sources are ABC News, New York Times Magazine, Encyclopedia Britannica, Cotton Senate website, Twitter, Wall Street Journal, Library of Congress, Plymouth.org, History.com, and Reason.com. Do you know what the name of his little piece of legislation is? It's probably something like Patriotic Freedom of America. You're not far off. Oh, God damn it. Saving American History Act of 2020. Huh. And as Cotton puts it, quote, 
New York Times 1619 Project is a racially divisive revisionist account of history that denies the noble principles of freedom and equality on which our nation was founded. ABC News further said that he claims America was founded on the ideals of the Declaration of Independence rather than on the history of enslaved people, which began more than a hundred years before the Declaration was signed. Now, obviously, I feel like he is missing some very key points of the Constitution when they made it. Yeah, and apparently I deleted one of his quotes, but at some point he uses the word indoctrinate in all of it, too. So I deleted the part that said indoctrinate, and uh, that's that gets my hackles up immediately because... They love to describe American public schools as indoctrinating. We're indoctrinating kids and turning them gay. We're indoctrinating kids and turning them Muslim. You can't turn someone gay and you can't turn someone into a new religion. That's There is some level of choice that happens with the religion one. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in a cult. And they oh, like no, there's still some choice. I don't know. They, but... they, if they lock you in the uh, in a purifying room for, for 48 hours and only feed you when you... 24-hour prayer room. Yeah. Even as a teacher, though, I had never heard of the 1619 Project, so I decided I need to investigate what Tom Cotton is doing and what this thing is. Here's another thing, though. If America's found on the Declaration of Independence, rather than the history of enslaved people beginning 100 years before the Declaration of Independence, wouldn't it logically track that the Declaration of Independence was directly affected by the previous 100 years of enslavement? Mm-hmm. If we didn't have that logic, we wouldn't have copyright laws. Like, anytime somebody pulls someone else's music, it's illegal because you're stealing from their history. How the Declaration didn't pop into existence in a vacuum. And that actually comes up later because if Tom Cotton knew his history, he would know that slavery directly affected the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. Wow. Shocker. Tom Cotton is ignorant? I would have been. Thomas Jefferson wrote multiple drafts. What? Mm Mm-hmm. The 1619 Project is a Pulitzer Prize-winning initiative from New York Times Magazine, not the New York Times. New York Times Magazine, which is part of it, but it's like a branch, which began in August 2019, which explains why I never heard about it, because I left teaching before August of 2019. August 2019 was the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. But I want to pause here for a second. We learned about slavery in school, but we've gone into this podcast and learned more and more about how much was left out or flat out wrong. It was never made clear how long slavery had actually existed. We kind of mentioned that some of the founding fathers owned them, so we kind of knew what was going on in the 1700s, but it really didn't seem to become a thing until the Civil War. Also, so we know that, you know, George Washington owned slaves, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. You know, John Adams didn't. Good for John Adams. John Adams didn't, and Samuel Adams didn't, and Thomas Paine didn't. Those are the ones I can remember off the top of my head. Alexander Hamilton, like I've mentioned before, we don't know. He likes to say he didn't. His ghost is flying around going, I promise I didn't own any. I promise. Wait, don't, oh, really? Alexander Hamilton's ghost is flying around talking? <laughs> well, Shock- he can't use a, he can't use a pen. He's a ghost. If maybe. What if our house is haunted by the ghost of Alexander Hamilton? Okay, ghost of Alexander Hamilton. Use your ghost electronics manipulating abilities to start printing shit off. Yeah, but he can print shit off, but he can't type it. Okay, I'm about to do something very stupid. Ghost of Alexander Hamilton, I'm allowing you to use our printer. But he can't. the, the printer has to have something put into it for it to print. It's going to put a ghost into it. You're going to print a ghost. Yeah. That's not how this works. That's exactly how ghost printing works. I mean, if anything, we've learned that we need to get a typewriter because The Shining taught us that. But all work and no play makes Maddie a dull girl. Oh, damn. I just gave the typewriter to Goodwill. (gasps) You had one. You had a typewriter. (laughs) Anyway, so our history was kind of glossed over. The way our history was taught in our schools, and I can guarantee you people in other parts of the world know our history better than ours. America started with pilgrims. Then there were some witch trials, and then a revolution, and then a civil war, and then a World War I, and then a depression, and then a World War II, or maybe the two are reversed. It depends on who your teacher is. Then the civil rights movement, which fixed everything, and then nothing else happened. That was the American history I learned. Like, maybe if you had been really fast, you might learn about Vietnam, then history is over. Never once learned about Vietnam. Oh, you might also learn a little bit about, like, the space race. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Nothing, nothing happened after the civil rights movement or during the civil rights movement. And there certainly wasn't a gay civil rights movement. Oh, no. No. um, History basically stopped in 1969. Nothing Mm. happened after that. We don't exist. 
So the 1619 Project is currently part of the curriculum in Chicago, D.C., Newark, and Buffalo, and Oprah is working towards getting it on TV, providing access to more people. The first thing I could find regarding Cotton's bill was a bunch of historians who were pissed about it. Historian Kevin M. Levin said on his Twitter account that Cotton's bill provided him and his students with an excellent example of the difference between history as interpretation and history as propaganda. (laughs) With Cotton's bill being, of course, propaganda. And I read the bill. We did learn about propaganda in school. That actually, like, we, I don't know about you, it's like, make your own propaganda poster, that kind of stuff. Yep. This is propaganda. Uh, It refers to people who want it in schools as activists and say they want to deny or obfuscate history by saying that America didn't exist in any form between July 4th, 1776. So basically, they're saying that America popped into existence on that day. Yes. Which isn't even accurate based on their version of history, because we know that they had to fight to start the declaration. Maybe. He thinks that the fireworks, that's just how America popped into being. There was just this firework explosion, and then an eagle flew out with the Declaration of Independence, and it handed it to Thomas Jefferson, and then Thomas Jefferson played a wicked guitar solo, and America happened. Actually, I feel like that's exactly what Thomas Jefferson would do had he had the technology. This is exactly what Senator Tom Cotton believes. His bill also says, quote, The 1619 Project is racially divisive and revisionist account of history that threatens the integrity of the Union by denying the principles on which it was founded. Huh. Yeah, so basically he's saying these scary people want want to make America racist. Wow. Mm-hmm. Isn't he also the same Tom Cotton who was really mad about removing Confederate statues and flags? I honestly can't keep them straight anymore. Although I have a feeling this guy's last name comes from the farms that his family used to make other people pick cotton on for him. Mm. I don't know, because uh, I did look him up and he's originally from Minnesota. Mm. But to clarify what his bill wants, it's to deny funding to schools. And I mentioned that earlier. That could mean a lot of things. Well, he tells you specifically what it's going to mean. Any costs associated with the project will be deducted from the school's federal funding. So on the surface, that doesn't sound scary. You're probably thinking, okay, so the cost of the lesson plans, a couple thousand dollars. We can live with that. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. It's every associated cost, including the hours spent training the teachers to use it and the hours the teachers spend teaching it. So let's say an individual school gets $100,000 from the federal government. I'm bullshitting these numbers. I don't know what kind of money they get. But they get $100,000. Let's say the project's plans themselves cost 1000 Professional development costs 2000 Then teacher and planning t- costs 100000 Because this is literal teacher's salaries that they are taking them from. The only things that he will not allow to be touched are the free and reduced lunch programs and money for special needs students. So if they overgo the amount of money, he can start pulling it from maintenance and from secretarial staff. And from groundskeeping, whatever he wants to pull it from, as long as it doesn't come from the free and reduced lunch program and special needs students. I wonder if he is aware that special needs students will also be taught the 1619 Project, probably with adapted material specifically for them. Oh, he's, he, there's no way he's thought this through that much. No, there are so many loopholes in this, kids. So many loopholes. I actually taught my students, because I was an excellent teacher who definitely didn't want them to undermine the system, to look for loopholes in anything. I taught them that loopholes are really important. You should play the game. You should make sure that you know the answers that are wanted. You should play it as much as you can, but find the loopholes in the rules. And they used it on me a few times. Like, well, you didn't make this as clear as you could have. So I'm like, you found the loophole. Okay. Like, I I hate you and respect you for this. That was pretty much what our conversation was. Because (laughs) I think it's important to know, like, knowing the loopholes is knowing your rights. On his main page, Cotton's main page, he also claims that the 1619 Project has been widely criticized by historians for being revisionist, and he links to a Wall Street Journal opinion piece to back this up. Now, the Wall Street Journal actually is a fairly good resource. It leans conservative, but barely. It's like that, when you look at that graphic, it's there's that neutral and there's that conservative, and it goes right over the line. So it's a tiny bit conservative. And in the first paragraph, this article quotes James McPherson, who is a Civil War historian and Pulitzer winner, as saying the project, quote, prevents, uh, presents, quote, an unbalanced one-sided account that left most of history out. Side note, nothing I found said replace the entire curriculum with this. 
Of course it's leaving most of history out. It's also not talking about the Great Wall of China. Wait, so the 1619 Project doesn't cover the moon landing. Yeah, this, well, actually, I mean, it goes through that time, but it's that's not yeah. part of it. It also doesn't cover the pyramids. Oh my gosh. Or dinosaurs. Or Stonehenge. No, it covers none of this. We should be horrified. But what about Aristotle? Surely it covers Aristotle. It does not cover Aristotle. Unbelievable. So, I mean, I've, I've decided I am in James McPherson's side. We can't teach this because it leaves so much history out. In fact... We should just eliminate history classes altogether because it's better to have no history than only part of it. And they don't teach every single thing that's ever happened every single year. I know. It's like, I, it's like we're covering all the stuff they didn't teach. So clearly history is pointless and we should never have learned it. Exactly. They should just listen to our podcast. Yeah. We are the only resource you ever need for history. It's... We know everything with our advanced history degrees. Yes. And it's certainly not um, someone, like, <laughs> clicking random on Wikipedia when he can't think of something to do until he finds something interesting and going from there. That's never happened. Or someone getting a news alert and going, who the fuck is Senator Tom Co- uh, Cotton? I'm pretty sure I hate him. <laughs> I've never met Tom Cotton. I know nothing about Tom Cotton. But I can tell you I hate Tom Cotton from this headline. Oh my god, I was, yesterday I was trying to figure out who uh, Senator Yoho's daughters are, because he's using- Congressman Yoho, please. Piece of shit Yoho. I was like, okay, so who are these daughters he's using as an excuse? And I found an Instagram with one of his daughter's names, and the Instagram with the other one's daughter's names. And they both said, I don't know him, but fuck that guy. Another point, if you're going to try and be mad at someone on social media, do your research. Make sure it's actually the person you're supposed to be mad at, and not someone with the same name. Anyway, the whole point of the project, if you look into it, is to include in the curriculum, not replace your curriculum. It is a series of essays. You could very likely not get a full year or even a semester out of just this alone. You'd have to find a lot of supplemental materials. So even if you wanted to build your entire U.S. history curriculum around this, it wouldn't be just this. So these guys literally don't know what they're talking about, including the historians who think they get to comment on it. McPherson also says the project takes, quote, an implicit position that there have never been any good white people, thereby ignoring radicals and even liberals who have supported uh, racial equality. The creator of the project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, does admit that it decenters whiteness. She has also gotten criticism from the Trotsky Socialist Equality Party which said that the arrival of 20 enslaved people in 1619 wasn't a world-altering event because slavery existed already. But if we're talking about slavery, transatlantic slavery in America, that's kind of an important moment. This was not the first case of transatlantic slavery uh, of this, no. But again, tell that to the 20 people who arrived on the ship. Tell that to the 350 people who started the trip. I'll get into what happened to them. It's important to bear in mind that these Trotskyists are not really worth listening to about any of this because they think that the Russian Revolution had the biggest impact on African-Americans. I did not bother to give them their website website traffic to find out why. I didn't think they deserved that click. Okay, sorry. My brain right now is just that little spinning, like, thinking thing that computers do. Do they still do that? Sometimes. I think that went away kind of when Clip you went away. Fine. I, I, I've gotten even further back. It's the little hourglass. That's what my brain is. <laughs> I think I was picturing the hourglass. So let's move over to the 1619 Project itself, because I've barely touched on what it is. I've just touched on why people think it's bad. The New York Times Magazine states, the goal of the 1619 Project is to reframe American history by considering what it would mean to regard 1619 as our nation's birth year. Doing so requires us to place the consequences of slavery and the contributions of Black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are as a country. So it's an interesting goal. We were always taught that America was born in 1776. But we didn't deny that colonists or enslaved people were here before that. In fact, we know that America has been called America since 1507. So 270 years before that, that's when America began. Because that's when it was named. And it was actually named that not by Amerigo Vespucci. It was named that by Martin Waldensmuller after Amerigo Vespucci. The pilgrims arrived in Plymouth Rock, which is usually when we're like, this is when the first Americans showed up, right? That's what they told yeah. us. They arrived in Plymouth Rock on November 11th, 1620. Huh. We always learned that they were the first Americans, so it seems reasonable that 1620 could be considered the birth year of America. So this is the 1619 Project, who brought enslaved people here a full year before the pilgrims arrived. Well, 
Remember John Rolfe? He married Pocahontas, not John Smith, but John Rolfe. Yeah. Yeah, that was all before the Pilgrims. Pocahontas was pre-Pilgrims. Huh. John Rolfe got here in 1620 and was living at Jamestown, which was here before the Pilgrims. They never made that fucking clear. So much happened. So many colonists were here before the pilgrims. The pilgrims were the guys that England was like, fuck you, we don't want you here anymore. Well, the people here before then were the ones England was like, hey, go check out this place. The pilgrims were the bad guys, which is probably kind of why we like them, because England to us is the bad guys in the whole story. So John Rolfe was here, and he's the one who documented the arrival of this ship, which was uh, run by English privateer John Jope. Hope I wrote that right. With 20 or so Africans on board. Now, I want to remind you, the Trotskyists said that 20 people, uh, black people arriving here was not earth shattering. I mentioned that it was much higher. It was 350. 150 of them died. Hunger, disease, lack of care. 150 of them died. The others were kidnapped by other ships that attacked this one. So of those 350, about 20 survived. Rolf said... That these enslaved people were, quote, brought for victuals. Do you know what victuals means? Food? I had to look it up. Yes. Victuals means food. It's where we get the word vittles from. Oh, Jesus. I couldn't find any other context around this. So we have either a couple of things to choose from. Either they were brought here for the purpose of planting and harvesting victuals or early Americans were cannibals. Maybe that's what happened to Roanoke. Actually, they were on Roanoke. I mean, not Jamestown wasn't, obviously, but Roanoke actually very likely had a sizable number of slaves. So maybe that is what happened, but probably not. I I think they went and joined the Native Americans. I don't think that's likely. (laughs) No, but they were brought here for victuals, and I had no other context. So either they were here to help grow and harvest food, or they were here as food. And the way it was written grammatically is as food. Ugh. We've never really discussed the possibility that during times of famine, uh, people, like, we know for a fact in times of famine, people have turned to cannibalism. We actually talked about survival cannibalism a couple of times on this podcast. And we know that there were times of uh, poor crops in in America. Oh my god, I might have to research this. There's lots of very famous incidents of cannibalism in America. Yeah, but it's never come up in the context of slavery. Ooh. Oh, God. And there's no way it never happened. No. Because, like, it happens in, in you know, families. And oh, man. this We, we just... took a turn! We took a turn! Okay, let's get back on topic. We just went darker than we've ever gone before. So, regardless, the first Africans were brought here in 1619, right? Right. No! As History.com put it, quote, prior to 1619, hundreds of thousands of Africans, both free and enslaved, aided the establishment and survival of colonies in the Americas and the New World. They also fought against European oppression and, in some instances, hindered the systemic spread of colonization. The European slave trade of Africans began in the 1400s. Christopher Columbus even had Africans on his ships, although it is unclear whether or not they were uh, enslaved. But so when he is around, you know... Thinking he's finding India or some shit, he had Africans on his on board with him. He brought Africans with him when he came to like Hispaniola or wherever he the fucking landed because I didn't bother to remember because he's garbage. Even by his time standards, that dude is garbage. Enslaved Africans arrived in what would later become the United States in pretty significant numbers around 1526, 90 years prior to, prior to 1619. They actually rebelled during the Spanish expedition to South Carolina which stopped the Spanish from founding a colony. But that didn't stop the import of enslaved people, and St. Augustine, Florida was actually just slaves, basically. (laughs) So in this sense, the 1619 Project is actually a little problematic to some historians, but not in the same way as the ones who was like, slavery wasn't bad, like actual historians. Linda Haywood and John Thornton of Boston University don't deny that 1619 was important, but they worry that focusing on the first enslaved people were at Jamestown specifically, and not America at large, causes us to fail, quote, to understand that the development of slavery was a gradual process and that the laws, that laws other than English laws applied, because, you know, all of Europe was doing it. Michael Guasco of Davidson Colleges says, quote, the, Portu- the Spanish, the Portuguese, and English were co-conspirators in what we would now consider a crime against humanity. So it was the English, which is the forerunners of America, the Spanish, who were also here, and the Portuguese, who were also here. Yeah, and you, you can make the argument that the Spanish are as important as in founding, like, 
America as the English. Mm-hmm. And it's Portuguese, too. I mean, like Brazil. Now, the conspiracy between, between these three groups is one of the things that actually is commonly used by white supremacists, the ones who call themselves patriots, to vindicate Americans when it comes to slavery. See, it wasn't just us. I've heard so many arguments that we weren't at fault because other people were doing it, too. The actions of someone else does not absolve you of your own actions. I'm looking at you, every single person who visited Epstein Island. Or let's like, let's we can go even simpler than that. You and your best friend are shooting off fireworks in the backyard and your mom comes out and yells at you just saying, well, Tony was doing it too, is not going to get you out of trouble. No, like there's a reason that the Regina Georges aren't the only ones who end up the bad guys. It's the Regina Georges along with the Karens and the Gretchen Wieners. And, but I thought there was none for Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> and none for Gretchen Wieners. Bye. You go, Glenn, you go, Glenn Coco. Uh, another thing to unpack here, and I'm not si- like, that's important. It is very important that we were not, not we, but that the English were not the only ones doing that. Because if the English had been alone in this, the slave trade would have been smaller. That's important. It is not an excuse for the, our continued slavery for the next several hundred years. Another thing to unpack is the need for August 1916 to be considered the date rather than the other dates that came before it. So this is how I understand why they chose that date. 1619 is considered the beginning of American slavery because it was the first time enslaved people were officially sold to an American colony. The previous ones had generally been bought and sold by non-English people, and this was the first time that any part of it on this side of the Atlantic was under English rule and law. So this was the first time that English people did it, and English people were the ones who were basically in charge of creating what would later become the United States. If the other countries had, like, if Spain had won the country, it'd be a different country, and then their date would be completely different. We might have, like, oh man, can you imagine America if we, if we were influenced by Spain rather than England? The better food, the nap times. See, I think you're, the think, siestas. you're, you're not thinking of Spain, you're thinking of Latin America. Also. No, I'm thinking of Spain. I have a friend who studied abroad in Spain, and she was like, every food is ham. Oh my. <laughs> this is even better. Yeah, we no, have tapas. No. Tapas everywhere. Oh my god, you are not thinking. <laughs> tapas is Spanish. Tapas is Spanish, but uh, okay. Think about tapas as you know them. How many of them have ham? All of them. None of them. They have pork, not ham. <gasps> All right, so you threw me off. I had to find my spot again. <laughs> so if it wasn't for these ones specifically in 1619, the founding fathers wouldn't have had precedent to bring over their own slaves. It just if it just been the Spanish and the Portuguese, they wouldn't have had the right. Thomas Jefferson wrote that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And while he wrote this, he had enslaved people literally working around him and bringing him his food and drawing his baths and being forced to have sex with him and bear multiple children starting at the age of 14. By the time he wrote that, one-fifth of the population in the colonies was enslaved people. And he's sitting there writing, all men, all of them. And yet, they saw the problem. We like to say that they didn't see them as people. They didn't see that this was a problem. They referred to their slaves as slaves. They also referred to themselves as slaves to the crown. And they were saying, slavery is bad. Look what you're doing to us, King George. You're making us into slaves. Now you go make dinner. And I mentioned earlier that there was more than one draft of the Declaration. That was never brought up in school. Apparently it was perfect the first time, right? I remember the, mentioning that there were other drafts of it, but I don't. I never heard anything about what was in those drafts. In an early draft, Jefferson blamed the King of England for slavery, saying it's a crime, but it's one that the King committed, not the American people. And he is talking about enslavement of Africans. It's not our fault. Someone else did it and we're just following along. That part was taken out by the Continental Congress, particularly by the delegates from the Carolinas and Georgia, as it would have resulted in the freedom of the enslaved people in the long run. He actually, in the Declaration, was saying slavery is bad, despite having a a fucking harem. And we still see this today, people refusing to sign bills that will help people in general because there is one thing you don't like, such as, oh, I don't know, making sure Americans don't starve to death during a pandemic because there's a little thing in there that says get rid of student loans, something like that. I don't know, just, just, you know, talking talking off the top of my head. 
So the 1619 slave ship introduced slavery to America itself, not to the Americas. And that's why that date is chosen. So difference between America and the Americas. Yes. The project goes all the way through slavery and into modern times and the effects of the effects that slavery still has on America for people of all races, but particularly, of course, the black community. It talks about Lincoln. Remember how we always like, and Lincoln for the slaves. Bye. Yeah. And how he invited five black abolitionists to talk about the possibility of emancipation. And these guys were like, yes, this president actually wants to talk about to us. And they, he wants to learn about how we can best do this. Mm-mm. And instead, he and was they were greeted by an employee who was in charge of immigration with an E. Yeah. What is immigration with an E, Austin? They were just like, hey, you guys want to move back to Africa? There's this country called Liberia that will absolutely like take you. Yes. And uh, so they wanted to send the Africans back to Africa, where most of them had never been at this point. And he even said to these men, your race suffer greatly, many of them, by living among us. True. Well, ours suffer from your presence. In a word, we suffer on each side, just like there are good people on both sides. He later said that black people simply couldn't be part of a white democracy, that they were literally incompatible with democracy. Yes, he emancipated them, but he also didn't want them to be equals in any sense of the word. And none of this was mentioned in school. No, never. This is actually a major part of why people against the 1619 Project don't want it to keep going. They think that it teaches kids to hate, hate Lincoln. Now, I've talked about heroifying a lot on this podcast and why it's not a good thing. If we don't see someone as flawed, we don't see them as human, and it makes us feel like we are incapable of changing things because we are flawed and flawed people can't fix things. I mean, hopefully none of us are, I mean, I Anybody who's listened to us long enough is probably not so flawed to think black people can't handle equality. But I dare you to find a single person who has never said a single racist, homophobic, or sexist thing. In reading all of this, at no point did I think, man, I hate Lincoln now. I thought, what a dick. Yeah. But it wasn't that undoes everything else he did. Mm -hmm. This was a dude who was ignorant as fuck and needed someone to educate him. And he ultimately went ahead and emancipated despite not getting what he wanted in this. Not great. Could be worse. One of those things. Yeah. People also argue that it teaches kids to hate all white people. I mentioned this earlier. That was an exact quote. Like, this teaches people to hate white people. No, it doesn't. If anything, The Bachelor teaches you to hate white people. Or yes. The Bachelorette. Yes. Or uh, Love is Blind. Lo- but Mark is 24. <laughs> It also forces teachers to rethink the way they teach. In the opening pod, there's a podcast. It's called 1619. You should listen to it. Nicole Hannah-Jones recounts a time when she was told to find out where her people came from and create a report on it. This was an assignment for the whole class. Like, I would have to research Scotland or Canada or Ireland or the UK or possibly Scandinavia. And you would have to research Sweden and the Romani people. Yeah. So we'd have to just pick one. But we know where we'd have to research. She didn't because she could trace her family back to slavery and no farther. They don't know where anybody came from for the most part. Um, We know that the ones in 1619 were from what is now Angola. And that's about all we know. So this kind of assignment is still required today. And so that discounts the experience of people who can trace their lineage back to slaves, to people who are adopted, to people who don't have someone they feel safe asking in their family. Like, there are plenty of kids out there who, oh, I'm supposed to do this project, but dad gets mad when I ask questions. So, like, these are problematic. (laughs) And teachers need to rethink them. It also talks more about the individual human beings who were involved with the civil rights movement, the evolution of music, and a variety of other topics that affect Black people in the past and today. People who were skipped over in our own classes, like John Lewis. It talks about people today as well. People who are, like, I, I didn't get a chance to read through all of it, but it's like people who are highly successful today, reflecting back on, you know, what their families had to get to go through to get them to Harvard Law or whatever the case might be. At no point does it say hate all white people. It says hate the system that has allowed this to continue. And it doesn't even say it in a way we were taught back in our Christian education of hate the sinner or hate the sin, love the sinner. Yeah. Yep. We, were, we were literally taught that about gay people. Love the sin, hate, love the sinner, hate the sin. I'm like, you can't do both. It's like, um, it's like, or just, you know, don't be a dick. Yeah. And so they're teaching it in don't be a dick, not separate the two. It's, isn't this fucked up? Let's fix it. That's how this is taught. Anyone who thinks that this is about hating white people needs to ask themselves why they're taking this personally. 
So in summary, the 1619 Project sheds light on all of the history of Black people in America and teaches kids a more holistic view and of the history of the United States and forces teachers to examine how they teach in general. And I am sure it's flawed. I am sure some historians have looked at this and gone, ah, yeah, no, this, we need to revise this. But we can't know what needs to be revised until it's actively taught and we can see the problems in real time. There is no fixing something until it's been tested. So the 1619 Project also shouldn't be necessary. This stuff should be in your regular history textbooks already, but it's not. And that makes this necessary. Last thing I have to say, Tom Cotton sucks. He super sucks. This guy sucks. I feel like there's a couple of senators I definitely hate more than Tom Cotton. He's de- but he's definitely in the top 10 of like least favorite senators. Uh, there was also a really good interview between uh, Tucker Carlson, the one who used to lick bo- lick uh, Trump's boots. Oh, he continues to lick Trump's boots. He was trying to talk to Trump about the 1619 Project. Trump's like, it's bad, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, they don't e- I don't even know what it was about. Trump actually said, I don't know what it's about. And Tucker Carlson goes, slavery? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, they don't even know that if that's what this is really about. Uh. Pretty sure the people who are researching this know what slavery is. All right, you ready for some questions? I'm ready for some questions. Will the fact that even Christopher Columbus may have brought over enslaved people be on the test? You know what? I'd like to say now, yes, because we're starting to realize what a dick Columbus was, and we're going to start, we've started teaching it. Will the fact that there were initially 350 people in the initial 1619 slave ship, but only 20 people made it here be on the test? Yes. Will the fact that Thomas Jefferson tried to include slavery in the Declaration of Independence on the t- be on the test? No, that will not be on the test. Yeah. So yeah, the 1619 Project, it's fascinating. And like anything else, it's probably flawed, but I think it's necessary and I wish they'd expand it. And I mean, granted, right now, it's probably best to not expand it yet just so they can study it better and see what needs to get revised. But at the end of the day, until textbooks become better, we need to have something like that. Yes, we do. And just again, his- American history is very, very white person centric. And it, in American history is not entirely white person centric. We need to move away from that. Nor is it entirely male centric. Yeah. Or straight-centric, or... Yeah, it's like, there's a lot of intersectionality in history that just gets brushed over, because... History is written by the victors. Yeah. And white men have won so far. So far. I feel like we've been losing a lot recently, and it's... We deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's about damn time you guys lost. God, it's like, they're like, white men are like the New York Yankees of people, and they're the worst. Yeah, Austin, I was reading him something from the news yesterday, and he walked, and he just stops, and he goes, I am so tired of white men. We're the worst. Mm-hmm. It's like, ugh. It's like, you know, everybody, white people in general kind of suck right now, but probably forever. But I'm glad that, I'm glad that we're finally getting our- Comeuppance. Comeuppance a little bit. Like, you know, mo- I, I truly believe at the end of the day, most people are just doing their best. Most people are fine. Most people are not the Karens and Chads of the world or whatever you want to call them. But the ones who are, I'm I'm fine with them getting canceled. I, I, just, I love, like, we we're talking about that guy earlier who, like, when he realized he had been caught on social media, like, froze. There's consequences now for some people. And that's delicious. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what's something you learned? There, there were enslaved people in the Americas before 1619. And when those ones that got here, there were 350 original. Only 20 made it. Mm-hmm. That's mortifying. Yeah, I've actually done some research on this for a different topic. I ended up scrapping a while back, I think. And the number of enslaved people who were put on the ships and the number who made it here are drastically different. Um, just like... Yeah, 20, I've been saying, and 20 enslaved people is not that big of a deal. Well, you know what they did? They had kids, and their kids had kids, and their kids had kids. And eventually, you know, that turned into one-fifth of the colony population. Not from those original 20 alone, but mm-hmm. enough. 20%. Yeah. So remember, this was 150 years before that, so mm. that would have been three generations away, Yeah, give or take. Four, I mean, three, assuming 50 years, probably more like four or five, because they were likely having children younger than we do now. Yeah. So what did you learn? I learned that, I actually didn't know this at all. I I learned that they actually practiced being beaten and screamed at so that they'd be ready to go on these rides. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Yeah, uh, John Lewis talks about that in his uh, graphic biography of March. Again, mm-hmm. recommending it again. Read it. 
It's awesome. Yes, and this is very different from the realistic um, school shooting practices they do with teachers because these people were all volunteers. Teachers are not volunteering for that in many cases. They're being forced to do it as part of their jobs. Big difference. They did not sign up to be soldiers. (laughs) And they also should be allowed to pick which trauma they want to have, such as, you know, not getting shot with... Yeah, you know they're being shot with with pellet bags and pepper bullets, right? Teachers? Yeah, that's what the, that is what is being used is beanbag oh bullets during these trainings. That's that's ridiculous and stupid. Yeah, and teachers are leaving with welts and bruises and broken bones from practice runs for the inevitability of a school shooting, and now it's like let's send them to school because they're all gonna die of COVID. I'm mm-hmm. so mad. I'm so mad. So you are going to continue yours next week. I'm continuing mine next week. I have no idea what I'm talking about next week. Well, this will be exciting. Mm-hmm. And where can they find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at on the test pod. On Instagram at on the test pod and on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod and our website on the test pod.com. Yes, uh, the best way if you want to actually reach out to us is via Facebook or Twitter because we tend to forget that our Instagram exists. <laughs> I mean, we're a podcast. What's we're going to have pictures of? I mean, we've got faces made for radio. You've seen them. Yep. And we do have nice cats, though. Maybe we should put more cat photos up. We should. Ask us for cat photos and we'll do it. Yes. It's like, we're, we're, we have cats. We want to show you our cat photos. Yeah, there's one of them right there. It's Draco and he's asleep. Did you give him his med? Yeah. Okay. Draco's on anxiety meds now. <laughs> he was our only cat that had no medication or other issues. He had the weight of the world on his shoulders with all of his special needs brothers and sisters, and it was getting and to And our him. stress and the fact that mom never leaves the house now. Yeah, he never gets time to himself. Poor little guy. He's not little. He's huge. <laughs> He's so big. The vet had talked to me about the weight of our cats, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I feed them, like, measured amounts, and they're just fat. They're yep. just fatty, fat, fat. They're chunks. They're on diets now. Yes. (laughs) Well, I guess on that note, class class dismissed. dismissed.